to high truths on drugs and addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. I'm your host, Dr. Onit Lev, an emergency and addiction doctor who has worked at the White House and still practices on the front lines. Right here on High Truths, you will learn from experts, hear stories from the emergency department, and listen to people who have struggled from addiction. Each episode, we will answer questions from you, our listeners. To learn more about the show, submit a question, access educational material, or even take a quiz, you can visit us on hightruths.com. Our audience has so many great questions that have been sent, and it's really hard to choose which one to air on the program. But this question really stood out as something that maybe many people are asking across the country. It's a question from Max Lightman, an engineer from San Diego, who's worried about his roommate. So let's hear his question. Hi, Dr. Lev. Uh, My name is Max Lightman, and I'm an engineer in California. I think my roommate has a problem with drugs. He uses a lot of marijuana with his girlfriend and takes a lot of Xanax for anxiety. He may be doing other drugs. I'm not sure. What is the best help for? Thank you, Max, for your question. Uh, And more to the compassion that you have towards your friend and your roommate and to be asking about that. I, I do think a lot of people, family members, friends, colleagues may be concerned and not sure what to do with that information. Um, so to answer your question, I came up with an expert who has over 20 years of experience as a licensed treatment professional dealing with these types of situations. Patrick Foley works for McAllister Institute, serving people with various dependency issues. Uh, He takes patients who otherwise have no place to go and offers them intervention, services, outpatient residential services, and connecting them to housing. And he also works as a coach, um, helping people steer the very, very difficult process of recognizing that there's a substance use disorder to connect with treatment. So Patrick, welcome to High Truths. Dr. Lev, thank you very much uh, um, for inviting me. Uh, It's a pleasure and an honor. And uh, yeah, I'd love to answer questions. Yeah, it's it's great. You you not only help people, um, you know, clinically and connect them, uh, specializing adolescents, um, but you also are someone that the County of San Diego calls on when they have media events to, to relate to the public and you've helped out tremendously and that's how I got to know you. Yes, correct. Um, I've worked for McAllister Institute since uh, 2003 and I've been in the recovery treatment field for um, 20 years now, uh, working with adolescents, uh, transitional youth, young adults, so 18 to 24, um, also um, a cannabis use uh, disorder expert um, and uh, helping people on the road to recovery. Yes, you are a cannabis use disorder expert, and you were in the room when we unleashed the word scrometing to the world. We did. We did. Yeah, you're a pioneer, and I I remember that day well, and and, uh, it went viral, and uh, I commend you on all of your efforts. Uh, Like you said, being on the front lines and uh, helping people, meeting them where they they are, you know, and getting them to a better place. You got to see that happen. So- Patrick, how can we help 
Max help his roommate? He's worried about his roommate. And maybe we should start with, does Max's roommate even have a problem? Is, is it a problem, you know, using marijuana or Xanax tablets, or is this something that people do and, and uh, just let people live their own lives? Uh, well, I would say, Max, I commend you for um, how much um, appreciation you have for your friend and, and, and watching him and where he's at in his life um, and your concern. Um, so I would say that there's some people who can smoke cannabis and do other drugs, and maybe they're in a use stage, they're just using. And then I would say that others have gone past that into dependence stage. Um, and how do we meet Max's roommate um, where he is and get him the help that he needs? And I really believe that it's starting right now where he's reaching out to professionals to ask for help so that he can be prepared for another conversation that he's going to have with his friend. I, I heard about Max's roommate and, and it did alarm me. Um, you know, I, I, there are people who are using marijuana without having any problems, but the fact that he now needs to get Xanax tablets um, on a regular basis, to me, that's a red flag. Xanax is a um, benzodiazepine that is very good for panic disorder because the onset of it is very fast, but it wears off very fast. So it creates a dependency. Wait, it wore off. I need more. And that's why both FDA and the American Psychiatric Association says this is not meant for, you know, chronic anxiety. It's not meant for people to take more than six weeks and yet I see mm. people on it for six years. Um, so when I hear somebody's on Xanax for long term, to me, that's a red flag. I, I agree. Huge red flag. Uh, using cannabis um, and with other substances, um, you know, we, we don't know what could happen or, or where he currently is. My concern is, is that the cannabis use is probably um, longer than six to eight years. And it's I, I'm I'm. I'm wondering if he's doing it daily, multiple times a day, and then mixing it with uh, the Xanax. And my my question is to Max's friend: Is has the cannabis stopped working? So, meaning is uh, is it not producing the same result it did last year or the year before that? So now he's trying to combine the two to get the same result. I'm concerned about his mental health as well, and his um, how he is, uh, how stable he is. Um, and what is he functioning? What does he do every day? Does he go to work or is he just at home? And, and I just because, know he is, he is unemployed. Right. And that, that's, that's alarming because that as many people isolated. are during this pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, a lot of, a lot of, a lot, not just um, not being, not being able to leave the house, the fear of leaving the house. So um, I, I'm very concerned about uh, where he's at with his dependency on cannabis and then using other drugs to help cope with his um, underlying possible mental health issues. And how do we get him to um, uh, a place like McAllister Institute or other county funded um, programs? And we're utilizing telehealth um, where he could basically call in and Max, you could help him call in um, and uh, get services uh, get an assessment and intake um, completed, and he could actually do services from his living room. So he wouldn't actually have to leave. So what are some things to say, you know, this is just a casual use versus this is a disorder? And one of the definitions from a, a textbook on addiction medicine is 
if you were just partying or experimenting is if you use less than six times. If you're using six or more times, you're now entering um, the realm of having a substance use disorder. Mm. But how do you how do you make an assessment? Well, I look at three different. Um, I look at mild, moderate, or severe. This comes from the DSM five. Um, so we're looking at mild. It's two to three symptoms. Moderate's four to five, and severe is six or more. Um, so we're looking at. Um, anywhere from does he meet criteria and it, it's you're looking at a, a problematic pattern of cannabis use leading to some form of clinical significant impairment of, or distress um, and, it, and it breaks down like this as manifested by at least two of the following occurring within a 12-month period um, so it's cannabis is often taken in larger amounts there's a persistent desire or unsuccessful efforts to cut down a great deal of time is spent in activities necessary to obtain it, use it, and recover from its effects, craving or a strong desire or urge to use it. Here's an important one. A recurrent cannabis use resulting in a failure to fulfill major role obligations either at work, school, or at home. Continued cannabis use despite having persistent or recurrent social or interpersonal problems caused by the effects of cannabis. So he, he would have to meet at least six or more to be uh, diagnosed cannabis use uh, dependent. Um, and I would say it's a possibility he might have um, more than six. Um, if we go down the list, um, I, would, I, would, I would like to meet the guy someday if I could and, and uh, try and get him the help that he possibly needs. And, um, and like you said, it's possible he's crying out for help, especially if he's opening up to his friend, Max. Yeah. And, um, and I don't know if he's opening up or, or if this is something that Max is just seeing uh, mm. as a roommate. Um, but Patrick, you did a really good job outlining the 11 questions from the DSM-5 on use disorder. On any substance use disorder, there are these 11 questions. Um, they're the same questions, whether it's an alcohol use disorder, cannabis use disorder, uh, opioid use disorder, benzodiazepine use disorder. And, um, and just like you said, two to three of these symptoms means it's mild, four to five, moderate, and six more um, as, as severe. And uh, a lot of times we see people who are anxious and Max's friend says he's anxious. Anxiety can be a symptoms of withdrawal, withdrawal from, from, from marijuana. If he's like, oh, well, I'm using less, but then you're feeling anxious because you're losing it less and now it makes you want to have the Xanax and, uh, and now you have both problems, a benzodiazepine problem and a cannabis problem. And I think my concern is, is that the Xanax will take over and he'll stop smoking marijuana because he won't need it anymore because the Xanax is so strong. But like you said, Xanax is only supposed to be used for a small period of time, not for six months or a year. Um, so I, I would say that he's, um, you know, cannabis dependent based off what we know. Um, and he's very, very overwhelmed with a lot of feelings. Um, and if he's at home by himself, he's even more overwhelmed because it's not when you stop using um, cannabis, you know, it's can you stay stopped once you stopped? That's the question. So, Patrick, if if we had uh, Max's roommate here on the program and you had the first opportunity to talk to him, what 
And he may not even realize he has a problem and may even be not happy that Max has called in and, and said, hey, right. I already got my friend. He may, he may not be happy <laughs> about that. But if you had that opportunity, well, how would you talk to him? I would commend him for calling in and I would, I would tell him, yeah, he's a, uh, he's a great friend, um, a confidant and, uh, and I would give him a lot of resources. Um, you know, you're an amazing resource. I would be a resource. I'd give him, you know, my phone number and uh, let him know that if he ever has questions to call or email, um, so that we can help him. Cause obviously he sees that his friends in need. Um, then I also would ask him, you know, what do you need from us and how can we support um, and I would make sure that when we got off uh, the call, that he would be prepared um, for a conversation that he's going to have with his friend on possibly um, getting help or, or having a conversation. Um, so saying, hey, I want to talk about, um, you know, your cannabis use. Can we do that today? And if he says yes, then you lead into a certain, you know, discussion. And if he says no, then ask, well, when can we have a conversation about it? Um, I think I would start there. It's interesting because everybody is in a different place. Um, they teach in addiction medicine the five stages of change. Um, it seems in the emergency department, uh, our patient population are in the pre-contemplation stage. They're unaware that there's even a problem. It's like you are here unconscious. <laughs> you realize that there's a problem here. And some of them really don't. They're, you know... What can I do as a doctor to convince you that you have a problem if you're, you know, unconscious on your birthday in the emergency department? I ask them, did, right. you, have, did you have fun? Was this a good, happy birthday? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, I think the best thing we could do is get people to the next stage of, of the stages of change. So if, if they came into the emergency room in pre-contemplation, not even being aware that they have a problem, maybe I can get them to contemplation where they're, hey, you know, okay, I, there is a problem. I'm not ready to do anything about it, but right. we can ask for information. And then there's the next stage. The third stage is preparation where, okay, I'm, I'm going to change. I'm going to ask advice and, and um, you know, next week I'm going to do something about it. Um, and then finally maintenance because you have to keep keep at it because disease is a chronic disease of the brain. Addiction is a chronic disease of the brain and um, you have to maintain that. So when people come to you, what stage are they in? They're, they're not, I feel like the patients who and clients that come to you are uh, post pre-contemplation. They yeah, may have say, had a visit in the emergency department. Maybe I got them to the next stage of contemplating a problem. And, and I'm wondering where, at what stage do you meet your clients? You know, I, when we meet clients, um, each, everybody has an individual case. And, and when they come to us, it, sometimes they're, um, they have a lot going on. Sometimes their plate is full. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's a little. Sometimes they have two plates full. Um, so maybe this is their 10th time in treatment. Um, so they say, you know what, I lost my way on the maintenance uh, stage. Um, and I've re I've, I went back to using drugs um, for two years. And I'm here because I know I need to get back into uh, action. So it's, it's almost like they're aware there's a problem. Um, they know that they need to change their behaviors because when they're, it, it, once again, 
when they're intoxicated, they're not acting um, okay. But it's when you remove the substances from their life, they're so overwhelmed, they don't know what to do. Um, so they want to come back to structure and we just help them get there. So it really depends. Um, it's a great question because uh, sometimes they come back and they're ready and sometimes we meet them right where Max's friend is. He has no idea he even has a problem. He thinks that this is his only normal life and that's overwhelming for someone. You know, he feels like he needs, you know, Xanax in order to function. Um, he needs marijuana at this time in order to function. Um, to even go outside, he probably and he needs may not to be think that that's a bad thing. Correct. Very correct. And usually it's not until um, you start losing certain things. And, and I always use a, a simple description and it's a huge emotional rearrangement in their life. When that happens, either a loved one says, I can't do this anymore and they leave or a loved one leaves um, permanently. They pass away. Um, they lose a job. Um um, or they start to lose themselves. Uh, maybe they lose where they're living and now they're living in their car and that seems to be their normal life. So it has to be a huge emotional rearrangement for someone to be able to hear, um, that there's a, uh, another, you know, there's a chance, you know? Um, so Max is possibly helping save his friend's life. I, I, I do think because the, the one thing that really alarmed me is the Xanax because um, where is he getting the Xanax? If he's getting it from a physician, okay. But again, that should be short term. And if he's not getting them, then is he going to go to the streets and buy Xanax? And if so, he might not be aware that there's a huge problem with fentanyl contaminated with these pills. And so now I'm afraid of this individual being not just having a little problem, but being in mortal danger. And uh, I told Max, I need to give you a prescription for naloxone and you have to have it in the house because you don't know. I mean, it's like, oh, no, he's going to be better, but he's at risk. And he, um, and really, uh, we the county San Diego had a press conference and talked about the alarming number of fentanyl deaths that have doubled um, in the past year before the year was even over. Um, and we're finding it in heroin, methamphetamine, cocaine, fake pills of Xanax, fake pills of oxycodone, hydrocodone. And I really want everyone who has friends or family or knows people who use any type of illicit drugs um, even casually and don't think that it's a problem. Even maybe they're using drugs, but I don't know. You, you need to have this in your house. It's like having an EpiPen for someone who has an allergy. Okay, you're not going to eat peanuts. You're not going to have an allergic reaction, but maybe you'll get one one day and this could be a matter of life and death. And to that effect, um, I want to give a gift to you, Patrick, and all your clients and anybody who's listening. <laughs> and I'm going to put on my website a free <laughs> prescription for naloxone. So if anybody needs a prescription, because you, you should be able to go to a pharmacy and ask for one, but sometimes it's not covered by the insurance or you need a doctor's prescription or people don't really know how to ask for it. They'll just go to my website, download a prescription, and um, I, I just hope it goes throughout the entire country. Um, I, I, I wanted, you know, the Surgeon General to be able to do that or, or our, our public health officers, but they're constrained by, you know, 
federal laws and, 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 and things like that. And I'm, I'm not, I'm going to just put it out there and whoever <laughs> wants to get a free prescription and really Patrick, for you, all your clients, anybody you meet to just go get one and give it to them. And I think okay. that also alerts them, right? Like, Hey, you need this. Absolutely. Um, and I, if I can mention, um, if anybody is, uh, anybody who's listening on the call, who's ever concerned, McAllister Institute's not the only um, treatment facility in San Diego County. And if I could, Dr. Lev, give the um, We're going to have counties... a worldwide audience, Patrick. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Great. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so, so talk to the world. E e even, even then, I would say that be very careful with um, if you see pills in your house, you know, or you, you're, you, maybe you do a search on your, your loved one, I don't know if it's your boyfriend, your girlfriend or whoever, um, or if it's your child's room or whatever, and you find these pills, maybe it's not the best to actually touch them because a lot of things are laced with fentanyl. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very overwhelming. Um, so uh, like Dr. Lev alluded to, you know, this EpiPen, if you have a, an actual allergy, you know, this naloxone is amazing. Um, and it's going to save someone's life. Um, so if you know your friend or someone's using Xanax, if they don't have a prescription and, and they're getting it from the streets, they're really just, uh, it's dangerous, you know. Um, and we want you to help you so you don't have to find your loved one um, and uh, not alive, you know. And that's what's happening here, like uh, Dr. Love talked about. And they did release the report card and the numbers are skyrocketed from even last year. And the year's not even over. There's still two months left in 2020. So... Yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's very sad. I am um, unfortunately a very uh, dear friend of the family, had a beautiful 18 year old uh, daughter, graduated from high school, went out with friends and did one of these M30 blue pills that were, you know, fake um, Percocet. There's no Percocet in those pills. It's fentanyl and she didn't make it. Um, oh. Eileen Rivera, beautiful girl. So really, um, really, any parents out there who who should have some um, naloxone, um, just in case, because it does make a difference. This is a a perfect time for everybody who's listening, you know, to the podcast. Um, if you feel like now is the time to get the help for your loved one, now is the time, right now, and you really need to not wait for next week. You don't need to wait till after Thanksgiving. Um, they're not going to change. If you know them and in your guts telling you that they, you need to get help, please pick up the phone. If you have insurance, call your insurance company, get some counseling for yourself so that you can get them into the help that they need because there's no time to wait. There's no date, you know. They're not going after, you know, don't wait till after the new year and see if things change. All that's going to be different is the date's going to change. Um, and I'm talking about people who, um, Obviously, their whole life is surround is surrounded by drug and alcohol use, and their behaviors totally changed. They're not your son or daughter anymore, or your loved one anymore. Um, don't wait for the help. If anybody, um, I, I have to say that to parents all the time, um, Doctor Lev. It seems like they're waiting that um, you know, wait, let's wait till this date, and then something will change. Nothing is going to change until um, you stop the cycle. You know. Um, I so like, I like that. You did never a better time than today. Do Correct. make that yeah. call today. Yeah. But isn't it hard, Patrick, to navigate that process? I mean, here's a roommate or a parent. Okay. Well, what do I do? Okay. I call my insurance company or how, um, do I call the school? Um, 
San Diego has for, a two one one system, but for, I don't know yeah. if everyone has for, that. For San Diego, they have the county access and crisis line, and that's at 888-724-7240. And even me, you know, working as a treatment provider, I've called that line to get somebody help a dear friend of mine who is suffering from alcohol dependency at 29 years old. Yeah. And I had to get him into a treatment facility. And guess what? You know, there was no bed at the first three numbers, but that access crisis line did, you know, gave me phenomenal. I mean, you and me, I'm working for McAllister for this agency for 18 years. You know, I'm, I'm just like everyone else. I still have to call and they gave me seven phone numbers. So if one doesn't work, maybe the other one will. And actually McAllister didn't have a bed. You know, that was the thing. We just didn't have a bed so we could get him assessed, but we couldn't give him a bed. So, um, overwhelming. Um, and, and, and I know that it's, it's what a task you're, you're overwhelmed, you're stressed out, you have, you know, you know, your heart's, you know, tugging at you. What, what should I do? And now you got to get on the computer and start looking for things. So, right. but, but like you said, Dr. Love it now to right now is the perfect time for that. So, um, right. We kind of need, need uh, like we have a suicide hotline. We kind of need a hotline for people to ask questions who have a substance use disorder and, or, or, or may, or don't even know that they have, a, they want to know where to go to right. kind of ask That'd questions. Be great. Yeah. And not everybody needs a detox bed, right? I mean, I Correct. don't know if Max's roommate needs a detox bed. There's all sorts of level of engagement, right? From inpatient detox to being in the hospital with severe withdrawal to being able to, to do things at, at home and having just a coach. Yeah. I think that you, you play a pivotal role because you're actually a, um, you know, a physician and, and primary care. Um, I think you should call your primary care physician and go see them and, and say, this is what's going on. This is what I've been doing. Let's check my level so you can get some truth. Cause the story I talked about that, yeah, that gentleman's 29 years old. Um, and he's not doing well. Um, yeah. he's currently in an inpatient, but Dr. Lev, like I, when I text you, you know, over a month ago, you know, he, 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 he was diagnosed with um, cirrhosis of the liver. Patrick, tell us me about your friend who you're coaching right now. So this gentleman has um, been using, uh, using, abusing, and he's been alcohol dependent from what he's told me since he was 22. Today, he's 29. He turns 30 next um, in January. And he's been using uh, and drinking since he was 14, 15 years old. And at 22, he knew that he had an issue and he was at daily drinking by 23. Um, and really, I met him last year at this time, November last year. Um, and he wasn't doing well. He was living at um, a family member's house and he was basically drinking himself to death. Uh, he has no job. Um, he was, uh, family members were helping him out, but that's how I got inter. Um, there was an intervention with uh, myself and his family. Um, to say, you know, he needs help, where to go. I tried um, getting him into a sober living. Um, that lasted about a day and a half because he found an excuse to get out. He basically just left. I mean, I, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, he was going to do whatever he was going to do whenever he wanted to do it. And what happened was, is it took um, that huge emotional rearrangement I talked about earlier in the call. He had to go to his doctor, uh, you know, a month ago and they admitted him. They said, you know, you're not just going to leave. You need to be admitted. Um, they wanted to get some fluids in him and run some tests. And that's when he was told by um, probably every doctor that saw him that he wasn't going to make it past 60 days if he continued to drink. Um, so and Patrick, 
you bring out a really good point where our two professions can meet. Um, coming to the emergency department is a great teachable moment. You've ended up in the emergency room because of drugs or alcohol. That should be a, a, a life changing or it could be a life changing moment. Um, going to the doctor and finding out that you have cirrhosis or had a seizure or something um, like that can be a, an impetus to change. What physicians are not good at, it's, it's not one of our expertise, we're able to say, okay, you have this problem, you know, you need to stop using drugs. And that's what we do. We say, hey, stop using drugs. But it's like, okay, well, why don't you just tell me to go buy a Mercedes Benz? Like, I, I don't know how to stop using drugs. That's where you come in. Uh, um, you know, that's what physicians can do if we could learn to connect you, patients with somebody who is good at that. What I would like to see you to, to, you know, here, call, call these counselors. They have experience to, to help you um, deal with the change, you know. What I would like to see, I know Dr. Love, you and I have talked about this before, is having uh, somebody, uh, treatment providers, not just one, not just one organization, but multiple on call um, at the hospital where it's possible that if you ask the patient if they would like to talk to somebody, um, or we just said, hey, we, we, I know somebody wants to talk to you, and let's say I showed up, or another treatment provider um, had you know, some form of, somebody who ha you know, has experience with substance use uh, disorder, um, and would say they're an expert, could go and talk to them right then and there and say, we can take you from here if you're discharged right now and take you straight to treatment. And, and if we could bridge that gap, then you really, you know, you have people that are discharged from the hospital and they're not going back to their old connections and where they live and, and whatever their drug of choice is. They're leaving the hospital with a chance, you know, a chance of hope to get to treatment or even if it's outpatient setting, at least you know that from, from the time they left the hospital, they were driven there by myself or someone like me straight to treatment so that they could be assessed and say, hey, let give yourself the best shot as soon as you leave the hospital. Because as you know, they're going to leave the hospital and go right back where, you know, right back to everything. And there they are places around the country that do that in Queens County, Maryland. If you call 911 because you had an overdose, you'll have an ambulance come take you to the emergency department. But at the same time, the dispatcher will send a counselor to oh, the emergency room to, to oh, be amazing. there and just wait and to, to connect. Because really the doctors and nurses are you know, worried about your oxygen and your blood pressure and all that. And, and they need to be, and you want them to be focused. Um, and they don't have, you know, the time and focus it takes to do what you do with your clients. Um, so I, I do think that that's a connection, but, uh, but even somebody like Max's roommate, who maybe he doesn't, he doesn't need a detox bed. He doesn't need to go to the emergency department. Um, thank goodness. But he needs, Information. Coaching. Yeah, and, and I coaching. can tell you, Dr. Love, coaching is, is, is great. You know, and your life coach, you know, young man like Max's friend, you meet them right where they're at. I'm going to be the guy and other guys like me are going to sit in his front room and ask those questions that nobody wants to ask and, and suggest things. Like what kind of questions? Great. How's this working out for you? You're living here. You don't have a job. Um, so how is life right here, right now? It's, you know, let's say I meet them at two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. So what are your plans for the day? 
well, if you don't have a job and you don't have any money, I'm curious to know where the marijuana is coming from and where the Xanax is coming from. Is his girlfriend paying for it? Or, uh, and if anybody's listening to this, this is a great key part. Who's paying all the bills? Because that's also a question. Because I'm not just going to show up there by osmosis. Obviously, mom and dad are going to hire me to do that. So if mom and dad are still paying the bills, that's why in recovery, you know, the family is a part of the whole, um, you know, they have to be a part of the whole process. So it's like, if, if, the, if you don't have a job, my question is, and let's say, let's say he doesn't have a job and he's on EBT and um, he's on Medi-Cal, but somehow he's still getting drugs. So we have to, you know, break down all those things is, are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? And, and why are you here? You know, how I, are you I think here? the pandemic gave people no job and money. Great. Can, <laughs> Dr. Love, I don't want to interrupt you. I want to I speak on that. That the same guy I'm talking about, obviously I haven't said his name due to anonymity, but you know, he got unemployment the whole time um, during the pandemic and he got a lot of money, you know? So he was getting $600 every week. Well, he's not getting that money anymore. And I have a question to ask people. Do you think he has any of that money saved? No, it's all gone. I mean, I've heard it. I heard it early in the pandemic. You know, they were in recovery. They were doing so well, working in a restaurant as a waiter, uh, lost their job, got extra money, and they used it. And And, and I really feel like that. And relapsed from their recovery. They, like you said, you talked about brain disease and, and addiction and alcoholism centers in the mind, not the body. The body's not affected until afterwards. So if you have, um, you know, if you don't have any kind of, um, you know, 12 step based or therapy based or you're not, you know, you're not doing any kind of work spiritually on yourself, um, then you have no mental defense and it's going to come. You're going to drink, you're going to do drugs and everybody's going to be baffled. And I'll tell you, I heard a great definition about alcoholism one time and drug addiction. It's cunning, it's baffling, and it's powerful. And people just don't know. And that's why sometimes parents and loved ones throw up their hands and go, I just can't do this anymore. I love you, but I got to go. And they detach with love because they don't know what else to do. And, and is, that, is that healthy? Um, I wouldn't say on the first go, but I would, I would say that after you've, you've, you know, you've uh, sought out professional help so that you can help your loved ones, so that means that the loved one, I'm talking about moms, dads, brothers, sisters, going and getting you know counseling for themselves and some people are probably agreeing with me on the call or saying what is he talking about but it's really to say i'm here because i'm trying to help my brother pat and i don't know what to do i think that's a great start because then it really helps you it puts you in line with all kinds of resources so that you can help them get better because if you're in if you're not in the solution unfortunately you're still part of the problem and there's a lot of people on the call that are going to say you know what? He's right. I don't want to be a part of the problem anymore. I have to be a part of the solution. I can't be a part of the problem anymore because that's not working. You know, right. so is that what you call tough love? Uh, good, good point. I would say that's, um, yeah, I mean, that's tough love, but it really is. Um, it's, it's, it's for change. You know, it's, it is, I guess that's the definition of it. Tough love. Correct. Because then what do you do when the parents say, I just, I don't know what to do anymore. And then they have to be ready to change too. So his girlfriend might have to be ready to say, you know, I've, I've given you resources. I've, I've wrote it out for, you know, with you. I, I stayed with you while you were an outpatient. You went to 12 step, you saw the therapist and now you're back to smoking pot again. And you know what? I'm just not willing to participate in that anymore. I love you, but I got to detach with love. I and gotta go. that, I was just talking to a friend of mine that can be the impetus you know i i have a a good friend 
whose uh, boyfriend um, had a problem with alcohol. And uh, she said, I'm not going to deal with this. Exactly like you said, I love you, but I, I can't. This is not how I shouldn't have to live my life with with this. And that was his pivot. He loved her and couldn't imagine living without her. And that was his pivot and impetus to to change. And he did it. And now they're married happily. And, and he wants Aww. to take that um, knowledge and help other people. I'm so glad you shared that story because instead of the whole call being that nobody recovers, people get their lives, they rebuild them back together, they reconnect. And like you said, they get married, they have, they live, they live wonderful lives and they stay clean and sober. I know many, many people who um, put the plug in the jug and they, if you, if you, if you heard their whole story, you wouldn't even believe that you're talking to the same person. I've also heard people say that if I told you how good it is, you'd think I was bragging or you wouldn't believe me. And that's how good it is, you know? And so that means 12 step works, therapy works, psychiatry works, um, you know, a combination of medication treatment and 12 step works. It's, it's, you know, there's people, there's, there's hope out, there. out. There is hope. There there's is definitely hope. hope. And, and I tell you, if, you know, you meet a lot of people uh, throughout your life, but when you pe meet people who've been in recovery, who've gone through, uh, a very dark spot and got out of it and self-reflect those are some of the most beautiful human beings on this mm -hmm. planet. I, 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 I can tell you I've met I, I agree with you and uh, I always talk about a friend who was homeless heroin user went to drug court um, you know 12 years ago and and he said that that was the only way he was going to stay clean is if he went he, if every week he went to drug court and was tested and saw the judge Today, he has, like I said, he's in his 12th year of sobriety. He's a manager at a grocery store. And let me tell you, if they knew who he really was, they probably would have never hired him nor gave him keys to every door at that store. Um, he's uh, he, he does acting on the side in Hollywood. I mean, you wouldn't believe his story. You just there, there's there's two different people. Um, Bush, I call him a Bush dweller. So that's my sarcasm. He's a he was a Bush dweller. And then he turned, you know, went to prison. He got clean in there. He got out of prison and he was uh, ordered, uh, court ordered to go to drug court. And the structure of drug court got him to 12-step meetings. Um, and the structure of probation helped him on the road to recovery. Um, and today he lives a totally different life. Um, he really has never had it so good. And he constantly sends me pictures once a year from some place in Europe saying, I just thought I'd share this with you. And when you see a guy that came mm -hmm. from nothing... And now he's in the middle of Prague eating whatever, drinking some latte saying, I've really never had it so good. That just, that doesn't make my day. That makes my whole year yeah. because those types of people, they don't make it, Dr. Lev. And you see them, they die. Yeah. Heroin, intravenous heroin users living in a bush in Hillcrest, they, they, they're found dead. They don't make it. You, so you save, um, you help save their souls. <laughs> correct. Correct. Really. You really do. And then, like you said, they're the most beautiful people, kind, loving. And look at Jean, yeah. Jean McAllister has been, she's 89 years old. She's been, she'll celebrate 64 years of continuous sobriety. You wow. can't make that story up. Yeah. You can't, you know, yeah. Jean McAllister is the one who founded uh, McAllister center, 89 year old mm. firecracker. Yeah, she, she is. She looks beautiful. She mm. comes ready for action, and um, really, what she has done in 
in her lifetime continues to do. Uh, wow, what a she, blessing she, and what a contribution. It, for San Diego County, she really is. Um, she's she's on the firing line, still in the trenches, one of the last of the diehards. You know, <laughs> she shows up to work Monday through Friday. Um, and uh, throughout uh, the COVID pandemic, McAllister's doors didn't close and she was here every day. And, yeah, she uh, is, 89-year-old you know, showing 89 up to, years her old to work. Yeah, correct. Wow. Empowered me to show up every day. She's amazing. She really right. is. Wow, what an inspiration. I, I hope I, I can have that kind of energy and focus and drive that she does. At me the, too, me at too. Let me ask you final words of advice, both to Max, what would be like, words of wisdom to Max and words of wisdom to his roommate. To Max, keep never give up on your friend. Remember, it's always easy when everything's going smooth and there's no issues with friends, but it's really, really trying. And it's really, um, it shows the type of person you are and the character that you have, Max, you're a strong guy. Um, don't give up on your friend ever. Don't, don't put ultimatums. Don't say, if you don't do, if you don't get clean, I'm never going to talk to you again. Because maybe he, you might be the only person he calls or texts when it, when he's in his time of need, and you're going to be there for him. That's special. And for Max's friend, um, there's another life, and you never have to feel this way again. Wow, that's great. Um, again, my my advice to Max is: um, you already are a great friend. You just need to continue to be one. Um, but your job is to be a friend, not to you know, give medical advice, or you could pass on a connection uh, and help in that way. And I, I am concerned enough that I would want that, that household um, uh, to have some naloxone just oh, in case. And just because we just don't know. Absolutely. Patrick, thank you so much for being here on High Truths um, and sharing in your wisdom, helping um, and hopefully inspiring other people to seek treatment and realize that there is um, uh, a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, there is uh, hope with uh, treatment. Um, and uh, really, may you have a lot of success uh, in, oh, in your you. job of saving souls. Thank you so much, Dr. Love, for your time. And once again, it's always a pleasure. I appreciate you. Thank you for listening to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts give you facts and answer your questions. This week's episode would not be possible without the generous support from our sponsors. A sincere and warm thank you to CCR, Center for Community Research in San Diego, enhancing public health and safety through informed action. If you would like to sponsor a show, we would be honored and grateful. Please contact us on hightruths.com. We thank you for listening and hope you will help our rating by giving us five stars and subscribe so you won't miss any of our informed, packed weekly shows. Visit our website, hightruths.com, to submit a question, take a quiz, or download a free prescription for naloxone. Until next week, this is High Truths on Drugs and Addiction. Our producer is Dave Rivas from Davy Boy Productions. I am your host, Dr. Ronit Lev, and we hope we brought your day a little bit more High Truths.